Hey friends, welcome to the Family House Message of the Week podcast. This is Pastor Jason, lead pastor at Family House Fellowship in Cedar Park, Texas. At Family House, we are a family of faith growing towards wholeness in Jesus Christ, heart, mind, and strength, and helping others towards that same wholeness, impacting not only this generation, but future generations. We would love for you to check out more about us on our website. It's familyhousecp.org. Also, you can follow us on social media in all the places, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We are at FamilyHouseCP. And also, if you wouldn't mind, the best way to continue to see these podcast episodes when they drop is to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform that you love to get your podcasts. And uh, if you wouldn't mind, rate and leave a review. It helps other people find this Message of the Week podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Thank you. Um, We're in our series on the best summer ever. Two, Two more. Today and next week. It's turned out to be the longest series ever. It's the best summer ever and the longest summer ever. But it's been good. It's been good. Um, We've talked about a lot of things this summer. A lot of fruit. The hope is, is that it's not just stuff we've talked about, but it's stuff that plays itself out in our lives. It's this understanding that the Lord is wanting to actually do something in us. Um, He's planted seeds in each of us, and he wants to see those seeds grow to become mature plants that produce good fruit. That there's not just um, something for, for us, but something that we give away. I was reminded this week of something that David said a few weeks ago in his message on goodness that goodness is something that grows in us, but it's not just for us. We just talked about that in our offering, right? Like literally everything that God is doing, he wants to do it in us, and then he wants it to come out of us for others to experience. Oftentimes we get really caught up in this idea that, like, I want to grow for my sake. <laughs> and and that's, that's good. It's important. Like, we want to be better people. We want to grow. We don't want to stay stagnant. We don't want to stay in the place that um, uh, many like to call, I, I think it's an appropriate thing. It's like it becomes this whirlpool, right? Have you ever, you ever been on a, you ever been on the bank of a body of water? I mean, it most, mostly happens in like rivers and streams where you're standing on the side of the stream or the river and you see, and maybe in the cleft of a rock, you see this pool of water just spinning. Well, what do you find in the pool of water? Debris, right? The debris that's floating in the river gets caught in that whirlpool and it just spins and spins and spins and spins. And the only way that it's going to get out is if someone releases it, pulls it out of there or breaks up that, you know, maybe the rock gets moved or maybe um, something is, is blocking it and you push it out of the way and that water begins to move again. That's what happens in our lives when we become this, the, this, um, thing that just doesn't do anything. We're just, we're just going through the motions. We're just doing life as we've always done it. And we just spin in this cycle. Nothing changes. And we just keep floating there. It's like we're in an inner tube and we're caught in that, that whirlpool of trash. And it's just going around in circles. And we're just sitting there and we can't get, get out of it. That's what often happens to us. When we're, when we're not focused one on what God wants to do in us, but then what he wants to do through us. And so we've talked a lot about these things. Talked a lot about um, what it looks like to live in the spirit or to walk in the flesh. And I would suggest that the whirlpool is where the flesh makes itself known. Because we're spinning. And oftentimes we end up finding ourselves spinning there because we're doing things our way. And we're not letting the things that God is, want to do, wants to do in us and through us actually impact 
what's happened, what's happening. So this week we're going to talk about gentleness. Um, next week, we're going to finish up this series and talk about self-control. It's actually the message I've been waiting for this whole time. I've been waiting this whole summer to teach on self-control. Um, so come ready. That should be a powerful one. Come ready. Come ready. As my friend Chris Tapkin from Austin Christian Fellowship would say, bring your seatbelts. You'll want to buckle in for that one. Uh, but after that, we're going to, th this, uh, this, this talk today on gentleness is going to take us somewhere that actually I think is going to be sort of a preface for where we're going to head after we're finished with this series. Because I want to spend some time in the book of Ephesians after this, talking about what the church is supposed to look like. Um, and so, um, haven't titled that yet. I'm kicking around um, a title like Praise and Prayer because it's sort of a theme in, in the book of Ephesians, but um, we're going to dig in because it talks, a lot about, it talks a lot about what the church is supposed to look like, but what the people in the church are supposed to look like. And so we're going to be in, in Ephesians today as well, talking about gentleness. Um, let me pray real quick. Father, I just invite you into this time. Would you, would, you, would you impart to us your wisdom on what it looks like to be gentle? What it looks like to be gentle people. That we would um, set aside any preconceived notions of what gentleness looks like or appears to be. And that we would get a clear picture, Jesus, of your, how you carry yourself how you carried yourself as a man on this earth, but how you carry yourself as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We love you. We thank you. We invite you to do what you want to do in this time. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Gentleness. Gentleness, and I, and I think I've used this definition before um, when we've talked about, uh, we talked about kindness. Because gentleness and kindness go together. They cannot be separated. Gentleness is strength under control. Another word for gentleness used in the Bible is meek, meekness. And oftentimes in our culture, we've associated meekness with weakness. Anyone who is meek is weak. That's what our culture says. But gentleness is specifically mentioned in, this, in, in Galatians chapter 5 in the list of the fruit of the Spirit because it's, it is a linchpin for making sure that all the other things operate in their proper place. Um, interestingly enough, it's funny how God brings stories back to your mind when you're thinking through some of these things. Uh, and this is one of those things. I don't even know if my parents even know about this story. <laughs> so it's always interesting when I tell stories about my childhood that they may not be aware of. Because <laughs> it, it didn't escalate. It didn't, it didn't escalate very far. So um, they, I don't know they'd been aware of it. So in eighth grade... Um, I had this math teacher who was a part of our church. And he was at the end of his teaching career. Like that was his last year of teaching. My eighth grade year was his last year of teaching. He was retiring after that year. And I loved the man, but he was done. He, he was toasty by then. Like put a fork in him. He's done. He was coasting to the end. And so I remember that class. That class was just chaos all the time and I was thinking to myself there's zero chance and I'm going to be prepared for algebra in high school from this class nothing is happening here that's going to help prepare me for that and it was just chaos people kids were like throwing stuff all the time and running around and yelling and not doing anything math related it was just a is a lost period every single day and I, and I would I would imagine 
I would imagine that if somebody during that time in my life had looked at me from the outside in, they would have said that I was pretty meek. I wasn't participating in the yelling or the throwing things or the or the chaos of the class. I was just sitting there minding my own business, trying to learn as much math as possible, even though I hated math. Trying to learn as much math as possible. So I'm just sitting there minding my own business, not doing anything. So someone might have classified me as meek. And it probably in that time would have been more of a cultural classification as weakness. I sat in front of a kid named Kyle, who was sort of, um, I, we were sort of friends. We were sort of friends. Um, Kyle sort of was around our church and our youth group some, and he was, um, knew his parents really well. Um, but, and some probably would have classified Kyle as meek, but he was not in that class for whatever reason. And he was sitting behind me. And all semester, all he did was annoy me. <laughs> it was like, you know, my math teacher would say things like, well, you got to, you know, you know how math is. Math has a process, right? It has an order. You've got to do things in order when you're doing math. And my teacher would always say things like, there's an order. Like, math is order. There's tons of order in math. Like, you can't take your sock off without taking your shoe off. Well, what was Kyle doing? Kyle spent the entire semester trying to figure out how to get his sock off without taking his shoe off because he was going to prove to the teacher that he was wrong. So I remember the day Kyle finally got his sock off without taking his shoe off. And he holds his sock up and he said, Mr. Birch, I got my sock off without taking my shoe off. Do I have to listen to any more in this semester? Like, this is what was going on. So he's pecking me on the shoulder. Well, look, I got my, like, bothering me all semester. And finally, I had had enough of Kyle. I had had enough of that class. I'd had enough of Mr. Birch. I'd had enough of Kyle. And I turned around. Kyle was not a very big kid. I turned around. I picked Kyle up, and I pinned him against the board. And I said, that's enough. No one bothered me the rest of the semester. I actually got sent to the principal's office that day. And the assistant principal saw me sitting there when he came back to his office and he goes, what are you doing here? I go, Mr. Birch sent me. He goes, sit here for 10 minutes and go back. I didn't get in trouble. That's probably why my parents have never heard that story. We know about Mr. Birch. But Kyle was annoying and I finally had had enough. And I sort of, like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't lose control in that moment. I just had had enough. Like, I would say as an eighth grader, 13, 14 years old, I was using as much strength under control as I had available to me at that age. Right? I didn't say a word. Like, I was just like, Finally, I get up, I pick him up, I pin him against the board, and I said, that's enough. And I let him down, and I sat back down in my seat. That was it. So when I think of strength under control, that's, that's what pops into my mind, strength under control. I, I didn't lose it. I didn't scream. I didn't yell. I just made a point. Kyle didn't bother me ever again. Strength under control. What does that look like in our lives? Now, I would probably classify I wasn't too gentle. Right? A story comes to my mind. Jesus comes into the temple and he realizes that people are being taken advantage of. Right? We all know this story, right? Jesus walks in and it's, he cleanses the temple. He turns the tables over. He... he, he chases the money changers. What was happening was is that, you know, the, the people would show up in Jerusalem and they would need a sacrifice, right? Because back then, in the old, the, they were still under the Old Testament system. They had to make a sacrifice for their sins. And they would come to Jerusalem. They'd make a sacrifice. But they, people would pilgrimage to Jerusalem and they wouldn't have their own lamb or their own dove or their own whatever 
to sacrifice, so they would need to get one. They would need to buy one. So the money changers would set up in the temple. They realized this is a money-making opportunity for us, and we're going to set ourselves up in the temple, and we can make easy money on the people coming to sacrifice for their sins. And Jesus is like, this is not what this is about. And so strength under control looked like Jesus chasing people out of his father's house and saying, this is not going to happen here. It was an appropriate use of strength. Jesus wasn't out of control. He was firm, but he was gentle. He didn't say, you're never welcome here again. I don't want to see your face here. He just said, my house, my father's house will not be this. It will be a house of prayer. So if you're going to come back, it means come back to pray. (laughs) Come back to be here for the right reasons. Don't come here to take advantage of people. Strength under control. So gentleness has some components to it that we're going to dig into. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Paul is writing to the Ephesian church. The Ephesian church, and I'll give you a little bit of background because we're going to head into this, this book after this. The, the Ephesian church is one of the few that Paul wrote to that Paul was not writing about a problem that they had. He wasn't writing to tell them, hey, you're doing this wrong. Can, can we try to fix this? Can we correct this behavior? The Ephesian church was one of, one of the shining examples of what the church was supposed to look like. And so Paul spent a lot of time just reminding them, hey, just keep doing what you're doing. Lean into what you're doing. And Paul, in chapter 4, talks about the unity in the body of Christ. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, I, therefore, one of the most important things we can do, and we see a word like therefore, right? This This is a pastor cliche, but it's really important when you're reading the Bible or studying the Bible. When you see the word therefore, you need to figure out what it's there for. So let's go back to the end of chapter 3. In in verse 20, Paul's talking about prayer for spiritual strength. Anybody need spiritual strength? And in chapter 20, or verse 20 of chapter 3, he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, which is the Holy Spirit, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And so Paul says, I, therefore, because of what God has done, because of who he is and the spirit that's working alive and alive in me, therefore, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. Paul's in prison as he's writing this. Paul was unafraid to suffer for the, for the gospel, for the purpose of God, for the kingdom. A prisoner for the Lord. Some translations say of the Lord, for the Lord. He's in prison because of his stance For the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. I don't want to spend some time. We spend the, the, the bulk of our time, the rest of the time this morning, breaking this down. So he says, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. I'm in, I'm literally writing you from prison because of what the Lord has done. And I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. What does our walk look like? This is honestly what we've been talking about this entire time. Right? Because fruit that comes out of our lives is meant to be shared. The way people see the fruit in our lives is by watching us walk. Watching us walk out the things that we're engaged in in life. They're watching us work. They're watching us 
love our families. They're watching us um, love our neighbors. They're watching us do the things that we normally do. They're watching us parent. They're watching us engage in our pastimes, our hobbies, our walk. We're on a journey. This life is a journey. We're walking a certain direction, and people are walking, watching us walk. They're watching us live. And Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. So this takes us back to Galatians chapter 5. Are we walking by the flesh or in the spirit? Are we walking by the fruit of the spirit or are we walking by the fruit of our flesh? The fruit of the flesh looks like rotten <laughs> whatever, right? We've all, we've all hung, like right over there is where our bananas hang on their little hook right by our refrigerator. And when they're fresh from the store, they look great. Four days later, they're brown. Right? I was just I was just talking the other day, like um, I was I was heating something up and I realized like there's a very fine line, right? When you're heating something up, you can either it's either frozen, perfect, or burnt. Really fast. It's like an avocado. Right? You buy an avocado from the store, it is hardly ever ripe when you buy it at the store. You bring it home and you sit it on the counter and you wait. There's literally like three seconds that that avocado is ripe and edible. If you wait longer than three seconds, it's brown and mushy and disgusting. It's like hard, ready, done, trashed, right? But think about that brown avocado. No one wants that brown avocado. No one wants to eat or take part in that brown avocado. That's what walking in the flesh exhibits, right? But we've all done it before. We've all walked in selfishness. Like when you see someone in, when you have someone in your life or you see someone in the community or you see someone in your family and they're, they're acting out in the most selfish manner possible. And you're like, oh, like if you have to spend time with them, you're thinking, oh gosh, I don't think I want to do that right now. It's not, it's not pleasant because the only thing they're concerned about is them. Many of us have this situation in, in, in our workplaces where we work or where we go to school. Like there's those people. There are those Kyles in our life. No offense to Kyle. He's a great guy now. He's got awesome kids. They actually live in Houston now. And Kyle, but Kyle was that guy that I never wanted to see in sixth period. Eighth grade year. Because I knew what I was about to get. Annoyed. Right? And again, no offense to Kyle using him as an analogy, but when we get so self-absorbed about what we want and what we're doing, that's living by our flesh. And it looks, feels, and tastes like a nasty, rotten avocado. So Paul is imploring us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. What's the calling? Well, Scripture tells us that when we're in Christ, we are sons and daughters. We are friends. Right? We talked about that. I've talked about that already. That like, we're called friends. We're not called servants anymore. We're called friends. Jesus calls us a friend. And so that's the calling. It's what we're called. God calls us family. He calls us sons. He calls us daughters. And Paul is saying, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. What does a family member of the God of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, look like? What does it exhibit? What does that person exhibit? What, what family traits, what DNA gets played out in front of the world? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. 
You're a son. You're a daughter. You're an heir. You, you will inherit the kingdom. How do we walk out that calling? So, Paul gives us some things, including the topic that we're talking about today, and I think they all work together. First, he says, with all humility. It's interesting, David and I were just having this conversation earlier this week about what humility looks like. Yeah, humility comes out of the word humble, right? It's, it's the, it, it, humility is the, is the act or the baseline of being humble. But sometimes we take on false humility. We take on this air of false humbleness. I, I, when David and I were talking about it this earlier this week. I said, it's easy to come like to be like where David is and leading worship. And then afterwards, people come up to you and go, oh man, that was such a great worship set. You did such a great job. And it's, it'd be really easy for us to say things like, oh, it wasn't me, it was Jesus. And I, I've heard, um, uh, I can't remember if it was uh, Chris Valentin or Bill Johnson from Bethel, one of them, I've heard them say, like, no, it wasn't Jesus, because if it was Jesus, it would have been much better. <laughs> right? Like, which is true. Right? That's true. I mean, sometimes we think that the, ant, the right answer amongst other people who believe the same as us is we've got to just, like, oh, it's Jesus, it's not me. No, 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 that's not actually humility. It's false humility. Jesus actually gave us the ability, that's true, but we're the ones doing the thing. But we walk around like not wanting to like take a blessing or take praise on ourselves. And we live in this false humility. The other part of false humility is this understanding that like we actually, we actually walk around telling everybody we're not that great, but in our minds, in our hearts, we actually do think we're great. We're greater than we actually are. And so we sort of live in what's becoming this, this sort of buzz term, imposter syndrome, right? But what humility actually is, is being comfortable with being humiliated. How many of us are comfortable with being humiliated? Paul says, therefore, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. Do you think for a guy like Paul, who was a Roman citizen, and in his past life as Saul, was a Jewish leader, professor, basically, attorney, expert in the law, high, highly elevated, do you think Paul, old Paul as Saul, thought being in prison was something that he would want to be doing? Paul knew what it looked like to be humiliated for the Lord. What, is it, what would it look like for us to live humiliated before the Lord? Not that the Lord is humiliating us but that the world is humiliating us because of the Lord. And we're okay with that. We've talked about the fear of man. This is where the fear of man gets caught up in our unwillingness to be humble and having humility. I mean, you catch that word, that word right? Humility, humiliation. The act of being in humility is actually humiliation. And so the prayer becomes, Lord, give me the boldness and the strength to be humiliated for you. I don't have to be liked and loved by a world who doesn't like and love you. He says, with all humility, all the humility and gentleness, 
It's where gentleness comes in. When we, we talked about this when we talked about kindness, but I think it's important to talk about again. When we bring something to the table that we've observed in someone else that might be seen as negative, right? When we, when we see something that maybe doesn't jive or line up with the kingdom in someone else who says they're a part of the kingdom, we, we go to them and say, hey, I've, I've witnessed this. I've seen it. Can we talk about it? Like coming in kindness is bringing truth. Right? It's important to bring truth in love. But, and, and we talked about, when we talked about kindness, the idea that oftentimes we bring truth not in kindness or out of love. We bring it out of this need to be right. Gentleness comes alongside kindness and truth in love in how we deliver that message. Can I be gentle with my words? Can I be gentle with my speech? Can I be gentle with my tone? We talk about tone at our house a lot. Can we, can we be gentle with our tone? What's the, what, what, what's, the, <clears throat> what's the basis, what's the foundation of the why behind we're bringing the truth? Jesus came into that, to that temple in Jerusalem and he drove out the money changers. His goal was not to be harsh. His goal was not to be sharp-tongued and be right. His goal was purity. His goal was to bring back the purity of his father's house and of his people. He was protecting his people. He was protecting the people that he drove out, as a matter of fact. He's like, do you not understand that this is why this house is here? Can you be a part of why this house is here and not a part of why it's not here? He came with strength under control because his goal was love. And so Paul is saying here in Ephesians and reminding us as a church, with all humility, like laying aside everything that we think is about us, putting our reputation on the line, and gentleness with patience. We've talked about patience in this series. What does it look like to be patient, to wait for something, or with someone, to be patient with someone? Because ultimately, what the Lord is doing, and it's one of the reasons why we, we started Family House in the first place is because we believe that the, the, the body of Christ, the church, is supposed to be a family. And family is built on relationships. And in relationships, the only thing that matters is that connection with one another. And so when we're focused on the connection with one another, this is what, this is what Paul's getting to here. He's like, are you bringing humility? Are you, are you coming understanding that you don't have all the answers? That your way may not be the only way or the perfect way or your feeling on something may not be uh, entirely built on truth? Are you okay being humiliated, setting aside your, your things for the things that God has? And are you coming into this connection with other people in gentleness? Being willing to to, to speak with, with patience and respect. And, and being willing to wait on them. Because honestly, what's, what good is a spiritual family if part of the family is going to run out ahead of the people who aren't quite where they are? 
right? Sometimes we have to hang back. I mean, have you ever, have you ever done an activity in your life where, um, you know, um, when it's not 175 degrees outside, I like to go on hikes. And if, if the weather is nice on Father's Day, it's one of my favorite things. It's like, we're going on a Father's Day hike. And everybody's like, well, I don't want to go on a Father's Day hike. <laughs> but, like, we'll go and we'll hike trails. If you go, if you go on a hike on a, in, on a trail and there's people in your group that's never been before, they've never been to this particular trail or they're not used to hiking, you can go if you want, like, shoot out ahead and get to the end, but what did you really experience in that? There was no community. Like if I went on my Father's Day hike and I hiked out ahead of my entire family, what was the point of going on a Father's Day hike? I wasn't with them. I did it on my own. I could have done it on my own and I could have done it with a lot less complaining, frankly. <laughs> but part of the enjoyment of the journey is going together. And so sometimes when you're hiking, you have to be patient with the people who don't have as much experience as you. And so you have to hang back and you have to go slower and you have to walk with patience so that they can come along with you to the thing that you know is great on the other side because you've been there before. Right? When we go, when we go, on, when we go on a hike, it's often in the Balcones Canyon land in outside Lago. And you walk, if you walk this one particular trail, you get to the end of the trail and the sunset deck is there. And it's this beautiful overlook and you can see the lake and everything for miles. That's the point. If I walked out ahead and ran to the overlook, I would be the only one there enjoying that view. My family wouldn't be there because I ran out ahead of them. I know what we're going towards, but I'm willing to go slower because I want everyone to get there and see it together. Patience. We walk in humility. We walk in gentleness. Gentleness. So when I'm walking on the trail, I don't, and I understand where we are. I understand the situation that we're dealing with. It doesn't help the inexperienced hiker if you're making fun of them the entire time. If you're going, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, nagging them all the time. Gentleness comes in and says, I'm going to partner with patience. And gently, I'm going to encourage them along because I understand what's ahead. I understand what's in front of us and the beauty and the, the amazing opportunity we're going to get if we do it together. So in, in community, he's like, with, with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Bearing. That word bearing, what does it, what does it mean? It means to carry. Sometimes when we're, the mo when the, we're the more experienced person on the journey, we have to carry one another's burdens. We have to be willing in patience and gentleness and humility to help them carry the things that they're carrying. On the flip side, if you're the inexperienced person, you have to be willing to allow someone else to bear with you. It's two-sided. The experienced people have to be willing to say yes to the patience and humility and the gentleness and the love that it takes to bear with someone else. But the other person has to be willing to let them in to what's going on, the burdens they're bearing, to bear it with them, to invite them into that, to have the humility to say, I don't have it all together. This is hard. I don't know what to do. Because this is what he says. 
He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager. What's the word eager mean? Looking forward, excited about, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We've talked about this before. Peace is not the absence of conflict, but it's the presence of someone. Abby taught us that. Like we get to have peace as a fruit of the Spirit as well. Like this is like all-encompassing fruit of the Spirit passage here. Like Paul is giving us a guidebook on how to fit all these puzzle pieces together in our lives. And he's going, you need to be eager, looking forward to, excited about, doing all of these things in order that unity in peace might be the goal. And unity means that we have one focus and one vision for why we're here. For, for Family House, it's, we're, we exist in order to see other people in this community, this neighborhood, Cedar Park, Leander, everywhere on the outskirts of Austin and even Austin itself to be in the kingdom of God, to understand who God is, who Jesus was and is, and be unified in helping and gaining wholeness and healing for ourselves, but also giving that away, leading other people to it. And so we have to ask ourselves, in this process, are we eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace? And peace, as Abby taught us several weeks ago, is the understanding that Jesus is present. <laughs> we may be in a storm. We may be in conflict in other places in our lives. But peace comes in the understanding that Jesus is with us. And he gives us the strength to prevail in the middle of whatever it is we're experiencing. So we have to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And then he says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One church, one spirit, one hope. So when we go back to gentleness, I want to end on this. When we go back to gentleness, and we ask ourselves, do I carry myself with gentleness? We can't do it without the other things that we've talked about. We can't do it. We can't carry gentleness in, in, in the middle of a really stressful situation. How do we carry ourselves in gentleness and not let ourselves go to anger or frustration or impatience? It literally is only by the presence of God. So we have to be we have to be in close proximity with him. We've talked about this week after week after week. The fruit of the Spirit comes in proximity to God. It comes in proximity to Jesus. We understand these things because we see them played out in his life. And so when we're in a moment, when things are in conflict, and it would be easy to lose our cool say words that maybe aren't gentle or say words that need to be said in a way that is gentle, we have to access the one who knows what true gentleness is. It's interesting because uh, in Proverbs 15.1, it says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. 
if we're going to be real about it, we know when someone's re is really saying something when, uh, with true care and love for us. When somebody's saying something hard to hear, we know when they're saying it with true care and concern for us. And when that happens, it just diffuses all, all, all of our wanting to lash out in return any defensiveness that we might have. When we truly understand that a person who's bringing something to us that we need to hear, we know what it feels like on both sides of that. When someone's just saying something because they want to be right or somebody's saying something because they, they want to try to be hurtful to us, or if they're coming at it from a place of real gentleness and humility and patience. And so when you bring that gentleness into those kind of hard conversations, it can diffuse wrath really easily. But a harsh word stirs up anger, the proverb writer says. Jesus knows what that looks like. And Paul wrote about it in Romans 2. He says, God's kindness leads us to repentance. Right? God isn't dealing with us with harsh words. He's not dealing with us in a lack of, a lack of love or patience or can care or concern. And sometimes we may not like what we hear from him. I mean, we talked about this a lot um, around here where like, it's like, man, all these things are happening in my life and it feels out of control. It's like, like I'm realizing that I have all of these things in my life that are sort of in chaos. And it's like, that's actually not a negative thing. God allows these types of things to bubble up in our lives out of his kindness to us not out of his wrath, not out of his, his um, anger towards us. He actually brings them up to the surface. They bubble up and, and we see them for what they really are. And then, we, then he goes, hey, can we work on these things? I want to work on this behavior. I want to work on these, these, these things that you've allowed in your life to sort of snowball in a negative way. I don't, I don't want you to feel bad about yourself. I want you to be lifted up. God, Paul writes in, in Romans 2, God's kindness leads us to repentance. It's the gentle word of the Lord that actually lifts us up. It's not a harsh word. There's so much that we could talk about on this topic of gentleness. But I think the best thing that we can do is to look at how we walk. We can go back to what Paul writes at the beginning of that passage in Ephesians 4. How are we walking? How are we carrying ourselves? Are we carrying ourselves with humility? Understanding that I'm, I don't have it all figured out. I'm actually just laying myself before the Lord. We do carry ourselves in gentleness with patience. Bearing with one another in love. Like the goal, the, the foundation of everything that we're doing in our relationships with other people is love. And it shows itself in humility, gentleness, and patience. Let's pray. Father, I, I just, I pray that you would come in power. That you would give us insight into how you see what we're doing here. That you would open up our hearts and our minds to a different way. Maybe we've, maybe we've often responded to things that have happened in life out of anger or with harsh words. And even though there's some truth in there, like the things that we've experienced or the things that other people have done to us maybe weren't good, and there's some truth to that, how we carry ourselves is important. That when the world says that I can just, because, I, because you've done this to me, I can do this back to you, it's not, it's not the way to have a connection with people. 
that truth needs to be exchanged and exchanged in a way that carries humility and gentleness and patience with love as its source. So Father, I pray that you would just give us an understanding of the ways in our own lives where we need to raise our vision to something higher. To maybe change the focus of why we're in relationships in the first place. That humility means that I'm not in this relationship for me, I'm in it for you. Our relationship with you, our relationship with family, our relationship with other people. I'm not in it for me. I'm not in it for what I can get out of it. I'm in it for, for you. What I can bring to your life. And that we can come before you in true spirit and in truth that we can literally come before you walking in the Spirit and we can carry ourselves in relationships walking in the Spirit. So Holy Spirit, would you come into this moment? Convict our hearts. Bubble some things to the surface. Not out of, not out of harshness or guilt or shame, but out of your kindness that leads us to repent. Which literally means to turn from it, to go the opposite direction. That we would change the way we think about how we approach things moving forward. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your presence here. We thank you for bringing us this, this message because there's something for all of us to learn and to shift our thinking. We love you. We thank you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.